0: I was working as an executive director in Aboriginal Health and the stakes at work were really high. At that stage, we were very much working in the COVID-19 response. The proximity to community and care was just immense. And I think there were just a number of interrelated factors that led me to experience burnout. One was just the, the sheer volume of work, working 12 to 16 hours a day in health. But I think, I think it goes back a little bit further than just the pandemic and, and 2020 for me personally. I think for me, I've had to really examine my relationship with work and some of the habits that I had cultivated prior to taking on a, an executive director role.
1: Caroline Kell is a barber woman. She hosts a podcast called Yarning Up and is the founder of Blackwattle Coaching and Consulting, where she supports First Nations women experiencing burnout. Not long ago, Caroline was going through a period of burnout herself, but this wasn't a new experience for her.
0: I think if I'm being really candid with myself, I'd probably been experiencing periods of burnout um, in other workplaces or in other jobs leading up to that moment. I think I had probably just normalised these experiences of burnout, but for me, at the end of 2020, I realised something was wrong when I stopped getting my periods Um, and a number of my relationships were starting to suffer. And just this constant chronic fatigue and pains in the body that were starting to emerge. And I think all of these things, my body was just screaming out to me to just slow down and to look after myself. But I was oblivious just due to the, the mountain of work that we had uh, to get through at the time.
1: Caroline's story may sound familiar, but there are layers to her burnout.
0: For me as a First Nations woman um, and a First Nations coach who works now in this burnout space, we really have to go back to go forward when we look at the historical context of labour in the colony. My nan, who had basically been kicked to the fringes of societies to help build roads um, and clear sugar cane fields in the early 70s, late 60s, and they did this for little to no pay often for board or for housing. And so I think it's important that when we look at burnout, we understand how that's come to be. And ultimately, not just Aboriginal people, but we were all plucked from families and communities and placed into factories and workplaces uh, through the Industrial Revolution. And we've all been taken out of our very um, tribal, very community, kinship, lineal state and put into factories that don't often share our same values. And so I think it's really important to understand that the history and the context of why we're all working and how do we derive a sense of self from our workplace. And I guess I don't have to tell you when we think about it in the context of labor, that labor in the modern world extends far beyond the nine to five grind that we we live in.
1: So how is our thinking around what burnout is and what causes it starting to change? Are we ready to look at the bigger picture? I'm Dr. Sandra DeMeo, and this is In Good Health. There's so much to this topic, so let's start at the beginning. To help us, I'm talking to Tigis Kabidi, a senior counselor at Polar Psychology. Tiggist, what is burnout?
2: The best way it's kind of understood is it being defined as an experience of chronic, so like long-term emotional interpersonal stress. And I think Mm -hmm. it's most commonly known from the workplace. And, you know, there's a lot of studies done around um, the hospital setting and the um, uh, industrial setting as well, or or corporate settings, where people might, because of the nature of their work, um, experience a lot of stress and there are certain occupations that are more likely to be experiencing burnout and people are a little bit more aware of that in those sectors. But I think it's kind of gone out to the the general public now because Mm. of the socio-environmental factors that have happened in the last two, three years, um, where I think as a society together, collectively, we've experienced long, (laughs) chronic, Mm. um, sometimes acute um, stress.
1: So what is the difference between regular stress and burnout?
2: Stress is biological. It, it, it helps us kind of function and do tasks. Mm. There's three dimensions that we kind of look at, and especially when you're going to seek therapy or when you're getting trying to get help around this. These are the three areas that people largely look at. And um, the areas are exhaustion, cynicism, and inefficiency. We're thinking of these three things over long periods of time in the context of something specific, right? If you're feeling over long periods of time, really worn out. You're unable to um, engage in your work in terms of energy and you're feeling quite fatigued while you're doing your work and outside of that work as well. You're going home feeling really depleted, loss of energy um, and almost like that you can't physically be engaging in that. Um, And it can be that mental exhaustion that some people experience as well of being like overstimulated and not being able to kind of uh, feel like they have a bit of rest, and even when they are getting rest, they're not feeling rested.
0: For about three or four months, I was bedridden and um, seeking therapy, medications, you know, a lot of osteo, a lot of movement back into the body. My body had been in a fight of chronic fight or flight response.
2: But then we kind of go into the second, which is the cynicism, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what we're talking about is kind of like the psychological and emotional side of things. So feeling like you have like a loss of hope in the work that you do, like a loss of idealism, um, that you, you would notice that you're kind of uh, socially or emotionally withdrawing.
0: My relationships had started to suffer, not being present or available for my partner or family. And just this kind of lack of of being divorced of joy almost And, and that kind of having an impact on the people around you, you know, how we're showing up at work and how we're bringing that home can really start to impede some of those relationships.
1: So you have these burnout symptoms of exhaustion, cynicism and inefficiency. What does inefficiency look like?
2: Essentially, it talks about like reduced personal accomplishment. So um, finding that you're not being as productive as you normally would be, Mm. or you're having um, lowered capacity to where you you normally used to be Um, and that can kind of like uh, mirror um, with cynicism in terms of low morale as well like Mm. I don't feel like doing it why should I do it anyway I can't be bothered and it's inability to cope with kind of what's going on so I think when all those three things are kind of happening at the same time that's when we're um, that's when organizations and when people and when society and community are saying hey this this might be burnout because Mm. these three things are existing in context of work or in the context of a particular thing.
1: So Tegist, when people are dealing with these really systemic stress factors, it's much harder to address than just taking a few months off work, right?
2: And I think this is the reason why there is such discussion around burnout, because there I think originally we've individualized burnout as being something that a a person is going through and it's kind of their fault and Mm. they need to figure it out instead of this acknowledgement that we exist in like systems, right? Because the, the traditional methods of dealing with burnout is you know, supporting someone, getting them time off and you know, helping them figure out how to do their work. And then maybe we'll just rearrange a few things and, and that's it. Mm. But these are Band-Aid solutions, right? Yeah. And yes, sometimes we can do Band-Aid solutions because you have to triage, right? Triage exists for a reason. But without going to the cause, I think we're going to see more and more people continuously being burned out. I think that we're moving away and focusing from individualizing these issues within people to being like, okay, so how do we create better environments? And a perfect example that's come out of this is like these flexible working arrangements that's happened mm. in so many organizations that can and have the privilege to be like, okay, you don't need to be on in here all the time. It responds to burnout, mm. but it also responds to a greater issue, which is around like, how do we work in a sustainable way?
1: There's actually a lot of nuance to grasp when we're trying trying to understand the causes of burnout, isn't there?
2: When we think of burnout, we don't think of the system. We don't think of the large issues. And we don't think that people also have like complex identities. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a workplace and you're like, oh, hey, I'm I'm working. So me as a African Australian woman who works in this space, I, I will experience marginalization as a woman. I'll experience marginalization as an African woman and b- people with diverse identities and um, a- identities that are marginalized or experience inequality will experience that and have burnout in those spaces as well. Mm-hmm. So I know f- there's a lot of people who are like, all these things that are going on um, in terms of the political landscape, people can be exhausted.
1: Why is it that so many burnout stories take place in the workplace?
2: I think it's the most clear cut way to find burnout, right? So there's a cause, there's the workplace, and then there is a cohort that are connected to that. So I mm-hmm. think a lot of the studies that have occurred, whether it's in a hospital setting or the corporate setting, uh, they're very nice and clean. Um, and you can see what the cause is and what the outcome is, and I think that's kind of how it it, it began, and it wasn't until a little bit later, and especially. Kind of what's been happening in the last few years where there's multiple crises occurring mm. on a global level that we're now having conversations around hey this thing that we saw that happens within a system actually can be um, seen in a a, lot, a larger setting and the same factors kind of exist
1: for me this is a really eye-opening conversation because i've always thought about burnout from an individual perspective how does understanding these kind of macro factors change our thinking around burnout?
2: A lot of the work that we are now doing is we're understanding that um, burnout exists within a system and that we're kind of mapping that and our understandings around how burnout it doesn't exist by itself. I work with a lot of therapists especially therapists of color who are doing amazing work or therapists from marginalized backgrounds and we noticed that during covid during the pandemic and even afterwards there was such a high intake um of uh uh, people from marginalized backgrounds wanting to gauge a therapy but there wasn't enough marginalized um background therapists of color Mm. that were doing it and they, they kind of didn't want to go elsewhere and So the work is personalized for a lot of people. And then that personalization meant that when things occurred, especially uh, uh, getting more clients or where there was a high, they they noticed that they overcommitted because of their self-identification. I care so much. I'm going to do more than what I need to do because I care because I'm doing this again because I'll use myself as an example. I want to see people in the African community engage in therapy, so I want to make sure that those who are engaged fully can have a therapist. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll do more, <laughs> like my friends like to say, I'll do the most, right? <laughs> Not the least. I'll do the most, and we overcommit, right? And through that overcommitment, we go we the short term change. Oh yes, all these people are getting therapy. All these things are changing, and I'm seeing great outcomes in my work but that short-term change that we see doesn't last long because the reality mm. is I've overcommitted. Mm. I've taken out more than I can. So I'm, you know, I'm you're actually only, you're only human. I'm only human Mm. and then because I'm only human I start to either feel guilty or I resent the work so I either feel guilty for saying no because I'm like now I can't say but why did you say yes now I have to actually say no to these people Mm. right or I resent it like oh everyone's only seeing me no one no one else is doing their share of the work it's only me that's doing this why isn't everyone else overcommitting? they should too Um, and that's when we experience episodes of burnout and you see this a lot in the activism spaces where well, people who have like tried their best to be the best advocate that they can, and they have gone through that whole system that told you uh, multiple times, and by the time they leave, they're so traumatized by that experience. Mm. So if we're understanding it in that way that, oh, we're existing in systems that can be quite traumatic, and it's coming because people are trying to survive, and then and then essentially what we tell people is you need to figure it out instead mm-hmm. of, okay, so how do we make this system not as, this doesn't trigger your survival responses that you think there's a saber tooth tiger there in the room mm-hmm. all the time. How do we make that system sustainable? How do we make it so that you don't need to overcommit? How do we make it that you can act, not just engage in short-term change, but we can create long-term change?
1: You've just outlined the types of compounding factors that affect people with marginalised identities. What needs to change to reduce those burdens?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great question. I think when I, when we think of this, and when I do a lot of the burnout workshops, right, um, uh, we famously um, noted that as well. Being is resistance, right? So taking care of self and taking care of community then takes care of the system. Mm. And I think a lot of the time, what we're told is the system needs to change and then the community will change and then the individual will heal. So I think it's actually the other way around. I think it starts off with, and we're gonna go back to our little example again of um, workplaces, right? Cause it's a great place to start. Mm. And it's like, okay, how do we, for the individual, make it okay for you to be able to do these things? How can you work in a way that's functionable? in the society that we're in, where you don't know if there's a flood, fire, petrol prices are over here. You don't know if you're gonna afford your house in six months time, right? So how can we make that sustainable for you? Is it a flexible working arrangement? Is it um, that we, you know, uh, kind of create better EFT? What do you need? Mm. What do you need? And then that would then kind of be like, okay, what does the collective need as well?
1: Let's talk about the individual for a moment. So if people are feeling like they're burning out, you know, what can we do to protect ourselves to what are the steps we take on that journey of self-care?
2: Starting with the individual, I think the first kind of triage response that I think of is Pause. Because if you're at the space where you are so burnt out that you are so cynical and that you are so exhausted, you need to stop. And it's only when you can stop that you can even have a conversation with your manager. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time I'm talking to people about speaking to their GPs um, because it is a system thing about being like, look, this is what's happening to me. I think I need a bit of a break. Can I get support around just taking some stress leave? Because I don't think people even know that they can engage in stress leave. And that gives them a time to just catch their breath. Mm. It's almost kind of like like a life raft or something that can allow you to float. And it might not be permanent because you can't permanently be away from things forever. But even if it's your friends or your marriage or your parents, or your relationship or whatever, I think being able to have space is really, really important. Mm. And then then engaging in, okay, once I'm back, how can I reduce to ensure that this can be sustainable. Because we're engaging in marathons. Mm. Work is a marathon. Advocacy is a marathon. Life is a marathon. We need to be able to have enough stamina to be able to cope all the way through. So there's something here that's happening that's not allowing us. So I think being able to engage in meaningful intentional discussions around, again, the individual situation, your workload. Is there something there that's happening and being able to be reflective about that. If it's within your family and you're like me and you're the eldest daughter, <laughs> am I taking on too much? Am I the one that's doing too much in the family? Can I share this with my siblings? Mm. And then starting off that way. And I think being able to engage in self care in, in in ways that enrich you, whether it's engaging with community or it's going getting a massage or whatever, I think that's kind of the, the first kind of triage steps.
1: And, and final question from me. In terms of the bigger picture, what do we do to future-proof, you know, our community to to make sure that this is not just a burnout recovery that benefits some but not everyone? What's the path forward for society from your perspective?
2: First of, uh, get understanding and insight that some of these things aren't your fault. Like, this is things that I'm sure that you're aware of that you carry and that you experience, and that there is supports out there for you that celebrate you and are able to help you understand. So that's kind of like in the micro, right? In the in the individual stances, if you have a partner, friend or whatever, and, and you can see this and having those conversations. But in a bigger kind of social aspect, I think a lot of the, the issues that we have in society, we have the solutions for. It's just that we're not actually engaging in those solutions for various political reasons. And I think, if you are in positions of power, if you are in positions that you have means and access, really thinking about who is the, the, the bottom person that's most impacted by what's going on and including them in the narrative. So if you're thinking about who is the most Im- impacted and are they in the room with me for this solution? Because a lot of the time they aren't. And even if they are in the room, are they given a place of authority within that space? Can they make decisions or are they there only to ensure that I feel okay because I'm making conversations about young people so I need to have one young person there. But are these young people involved from the start to the end and the inception and the Mm -hmm. idea? And I think that's kind of how we create kind of wider change by not just having um, diversity, inclusion, access and all that for the sake of it, but for the meaningfulness of it. And for the if you're doing it intentionally, And if you're doing it planned, then you are able to have solutions, especially if those solutions are given the power and the um, the respect that they have. They can make change.
0: The recovery for burnout is a lifelong practice. And I speak about this with clients all the time. I say, you know, getting free from whatever it is, whether it's time management or limiting beliefs or our worth or Um, it's a process, but staying free is a practice. It has to become an ongoing routine, ritual, a way of life.
1: That's Caroline Kell of Yarning Up and Blackbottle Coaching and Consulting, generously sharing her experience of burnout, as well as her journey to both understand it and overcome it. We also heard from Tigis Kabidi, a Senior Counselor at Polar Psychology, about both the micro and macro causes and effects of burnout and what we can do to address them holistically. If this conversation has brought up anything for you personally, or maybe you just want to find out more, you can head to our show notes to find a list of recommended resources. There's plenty more episodes to come, too, covering topics like sleep, exercise, and social connection. So make sure you're following us in your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. In Good Health is a podcast by Vic Health, hosted by me, Dr. Sandro DiMeo and produced by Deadset Studios.